You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company. Today, we're going to be discussing meaningful interaction with culture in the world language classroom. I'm here with my colleague, Adam Belthouse, World Languages Marketing Manager at Savvis Learning. Adam, who do we have as our special guests today? Thanks, Walter. We're excited to welcome Peggy Boyles and Rich Sayers, two co-authors of the Savvis Middle School and High School Spanish series, Autentico, along with educator and co-author Miriam Met. Peggy Boyles has taught elementary, secondary, and university students in both private and public schools. She was a member of the Actful Performance Guidelines Task Force and served on the advisory committee for the Actful Assessment for Performance and Proficiency of Languages. Peggy is a past president of the National Association of District Supervisors of Foreign Language and was a recipient of Actful's K-12 Steiner Award for Leadership in K-12 Foreign Language Education. Also welcoming Rich Sayers, who's been involved in world languages education since 1978. He taught Spanish 1 through AP Spanish at Niwot High School in Longmont, Colorado for 18 years. Rich also served as department chair, district foreign language coordinator, and board member of the Colorado Congress of Foreign Language Teachers and the Southwest Conference on Language Teaching. Rich has served as World Languages Specialist for Savas since 1996. Rich, Peggy, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Let's start our discussion with a phrase that Actful promotes and that I hear the two of you use, to investigate and interact with cultural products, practices, and perspectives. Can you explain what this means? Well, I think we've all been looking for effective ways to integrate culture into our classroom instruction. And to be perfectly honest, when I was in the classroom, I used to be the most comfortable when I was presenting information about products or about practices. And I really wasn't that comfortable about talking about perspectives from other cultures. And I think that was mainly because I wasn't a native speaker and I didn't have the confidence to do that. But then in 2017, ACFL published the Cultural Can-Do Statements, which really gave us a guide about how we could plan for opportunities for our kids to um, starting to investigate culture on their own, of course, with prompts and guidance from us, but also how to interact with culture, even at the novice level, at different levels of proficiency. So that intercultural communication was really spearheaded by the 2017 can-do statement. So with investigation, even beginning students all the way up to AP can look and identify products and practices and start to, even at the word level or at a phrase level, can describe what they're seeing in a painting or what they're hearing or what they're viewing. And we can avoid that pitfall of thinking, well, I can't do that until they're in level three because they can't say anything much yet. But they can if we use novice chunks of language. And then at the interactive level, when you interact with culture, culture becomes more multidimensional and not just one dimensional with a bunch of information, but not doing anything with it. So with um, interaction, we're asking them within a familiar context and within a familiar theme to be able to talk to each other to talk with others about things they would encounter culturally in everyday situations. And then they can also start to recognize even inappropriate cultural behaviors in different cultures. For example, just a short example, I remember being in 
in Spain and going to a grocery store and trying to buy fruit and how totally inappropriate it was for me to touch a piece of fruit. You had to wait for a number to have somebody touch it for you. So that are some things that you might be able to bring in when you do your food unit. So those are the two um, important concepts new to the cultural can-dos, investigate and interact. That makes a lot of sense. And it seems like it creates a sense of interest in students related to cultural study. Um, can you give us some examples of how you might do this in the classroom? Well, I think one of the most the most easily accessed um, example would be using visual arts or cultural artifacts because they can, students don't have to get through long, complicated texts or sentences to be able to start looking for clues or start looking for what the artist or the writer was trying to trying to convey. And really it's almost asking kids to become cultural detectives, to look at a painting, for example, about what are the objects, what are the actions, what are what is unique to that artist that he's trying to put into his painting. And our job as teachers is to try to provide a really interesting prompt to jumpstart you know, that process. And I think Carmen Lomas Garza is one of the, well, one of my favorite artists. And I think she's favorite artist to a lot of teachers because her art is very colorful. It's engaging. It's interactive. It's got a lot of action going on. Um, it leads to very meaningful communication. And her art, as well as others, is a natural vehicle to get kids to access different perspectives. And so one of the paintings that I can use as an example is the one Barbacoa, which is in the level one um, text within the family celebrations unit. And it is a, a picture or a painting of a backyard birthday party, a barbecue birthday party. It's got about 30 people in it, all different generations and ages, all different types of activities, grilling, me breaking piñatas, playing with dogs, having conversations. And we really want to prompt the kids to try to morph into that painting and to almost engage with those people in the painting and listen in. And for an interpretive activity with that painting, we could ask students to um, listen to little snippets of conversation that might be going on in the painting and ask them to match it to somebody they see in the painting that you've numbered in the painting. For example, one section of the painting has two little boys um, with sticks in a fire, putting hot dogs in a fire. And one of the one of the prompts might be something like, um, ten cuidado, el fuego está muy caliente. You know, be careful, it's really hot. And the only character in the entire painting are the two little boys are near the painting. So it has to be that one. So you could do multiple prompts that correspond to multiple people in the painting for an interpretive activity. And then you can move it on to the interpersonal where two partners are trying to come up with their own original snippets to then present to other classmates, which then brings it into the presentational mode. So with one single painting, you're getting a lot of cultural information, you're get, using all three modes of communication, and you're getting students to interact after they investigate the painting. Peggy, I love how you described that because that was one of the goals that I think you and Mimi and I had as we were creating um, Authentico. And that was that 
culture and communication would truly be a blended experience in the classroom. It wasn't like, oh, today's a vocabulary communication day, tomorrow is a culture day. By using the work of art that you talked about and actually going through three different modes of communication that could be done with one work of art, it shows us how well we can be doing culture and pursuing communication at the same time. Now, we often say that we want students to reflect on cultural products and practices. But talk to us about what this means and how you do it in the classroom. Okay, well, I think one of the fascinating aspects of encouraging students to reflect on the perspectives of a culture is that there's not just one right answer. And we kind of have to sometimes break what's maybe in our brains that that's the way it's supposed to be. But as long as students can look at something state an idea and defend their idea with concrete evidence from that cultural resource, they're showing us the process of their thinking and providing evidence that leads to their cultural conclusions. And I think that's very satisfying for our students. Um, In a previous podcast that I was involved with, we talked about how you could take an authentic video and a lot of my discussion there had to do with how we would help students understand the language. But another really valuable thing about bringing an authentic video or other authentic resources into the classroom is that they are replete with culture. And so we could have our students do a cultural observation and reflection. Now, one way to do that fairly easily is when you're ready to play um, an authentic video, for instance, start it with the sound off. Now, one that I would use, for instance, would be one that we partnered with Univision to get this into our program, and it's called Quesadillas en las Calles de México. And it's a famous um, person who goes around the world experiencing cuisine from different places, uh, Raul de Molina. And so what I might tell my students is we are going to watch, and not the, not the entire video, just um, a, a short portion of that. But then what I'm going to ask them to do without any audio to kind of impact them in any way is to begin that reflection process by making observations. So maybe they would talk about who they see, uh, where are the people, uh, how might they describe that location, what's going on in the surroundings. And I would encourage them to use as much Spanish as possible. Perhaps I give them some sentence frames that they could work with, remind them of the use of just saying it is, there are, you know, simple language like that. Maybe they even want to ask some questions. Maybe there's things that they see that they don't understand or make hypotheses and predictions. So this is at a very beginning stage of encouraging students to observe, reflect, to begin that interaction process. Now, what additional strategies have you used to help students reflect on cultural products, practices, and perspectives? Well, one of my favorite strategies is what I call color-coded responses. And instead of just asking a series of questions about something they have seen or something they're reading um, or viewing is to ask them to categorize their thinking into colors. And I don't know what it is about colors, but it it somehow um, gets them more engaged in it. Um, So they are asked to think of maybe up to six colors that go with particular questions, like um, a question that they might have when they look at the painting or the the artifact would be, um, what question do I have? And they would write their response in pink or on their computer font in pink. And then their opinion of the author's style 
they would respond with a in, in writing in red or blue would be their personal reaction or green would be their summary. I have to admit that when I was first teaching, I would I was real heavy on summary because to me that was proof that they had looked at it as opposed to thinking about it. But now we've not only have summary, maybe they do a prediction about what's going to happen next if they walked off the painting or even orange if it might be a character analysis. So with those six colors, you can have them responding and looking at something in a way they never had before. It's like a cube that they're turning around and looking at all these different things. And, you know, I've had kids come up with such interesting analyses. There's a the painting Diego in Mi Pensamiento, where on Frida's forehead, there is an image of, of uh, Diego Rivera. And you can find diary entries about how she felt about Diego Rivera. So you can put uh, a piece of art alongside a very simple text and have them do that together and do an interpretation. For example, in her diary, they, she says things about Diego very simply, like Diego mi hijo, Diego mi novio, Diego el pintor, Diego mi hijo, Diego mi universo. And then at the end, she concludes it by saying, Por qué lo llamo mi Diego nunca fue ni nunca será mío. So at the end, when kids have the advantage of looking at the painting as well as this very simple diary entry, they can come up with their color-coded responses. And for example, um, a personal reaction that one of my students gave when they looked at those two things, um, she said, she sounds like she's very depressed and lost without him. The last line of the poem sounds like she's given up hope. That's what happens to women who have their identity all wrapped up in men. I never would have thought of that that's the way a student would respond. Or, for example, a character analysis. They're looking at Frida. They're reading her diary. They see Diego on her forehead. And this student says in their, in their orange response, you know, she reminds me of a woman on Dr. Phil. She was telling Dr. Phil that when her husband left her, she went into a tailspin of depression and didn't know what to do with herself. She was the same as Frida Kahlo, but I guess she's better off than the woman on the show. She could paint and pour out her feelings that way. So, you know, that richness that you get by just using a very simple color-coded strategy, you can even use it for like a nursery rhyme, a very simple nursery rhyme that tortillitas, tortillitas, tortillitas para mamá, tortillitas para papá, las quemaditas para mamá, las bonitas. Uh, Las bonitas para papá. And you could use that same strategy. What's your question? What's your pink question? Well, how come mom gets the burnt ones and dad gets the pretty ones? So you can even use very simple text. And it's such a powerful device. And the kids, like I say, I don't know what it is, but colors seem to work magic. Um, Peggy, you shared this idea with me one time, and, and it's made me start to thinking about just different approaches to things. Um, in our Realidades Level 4 book, uh, each chapter has a song. And um, then following the song, there are questions for the students to reflect on the meaning, the culture that the, that the songwriter and performers have brought into it. 
And um, once you shared this with me, I thought, wow, maybe one of the really cool things to do with a group of students. Now, this is granted um, more at a level four, so students would have a lot more language to be able to work with. But maybe instead of just always the teacher asking them the questions, how about getting them in the process of getting used to that? So uh, one that I think of is called Represento. Uh, the singer-songwriter is Lou Briel of Puerto Rico. And in this, he talks about how he and his people represent so many different cultures and and uses uh, the symbols of music and color and, and dance to bring that together. So maybe rather than just asking the students, like, what does something symbolize? Maybe they could have the opportunity of asking questions like, uh, why is it that he's, he mentions four different kinds of dance, salsa, rumba, mambo, flamenco, do they represent something? So, so it might be more engaging for students to get a chance to sometimes ask the questions than simply answer the questions. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Peggy and Rich, for sharing your thoughts. Listeners, we have two more episodes of the podcast coming up. The second episode focuses on making intercultural comparisons, and the third episode looks at assessing students for cultural understanding. Back to you, Walter. That's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to Peggy Boyles and Rich Sayers for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. This podcast series is presented by Savas Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savas.com today to request curriculum samples for your school or district. And you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savas Learning with hashtag moving learning forward.